grace to you and peace from him who is, who was, and who is coming again, our risen and ascended Jesus. Amen. This morning, I want you to become disillusioned. I mean totally disillusioned by this word of God. And that's a good thing, you know, to become disillusioned. It's one of our most misunderstood and most often misused words. People use it as a synonym for disappointment or discouragement or disenchantment. But the real meaning of the word is to be set free from illusions. An illusion is a, an impression about something that misrepresents reality. A trick, a magic trick, an optical illusion plays with our minds to make things seem different than they really are. And they may be done for fun and entertainment. But the Latin root word, illusio, means mocking or deceit. An illusion is a false impression, a delusion. You don't want to live with illusions. Illusions about the world that we live in. You don't want to live with illusions about the circumstances or struggles of your life. You don't want to live with illusions about yourself or illusions about God, do you? And so in the final words recorded for us in Holy Scripture, the risen and ascended Savior comes to us today to set us free from all of our illusions. John was alone, banished on the desolate island of Patmos, a prisoner of Domitian on account of the word of God and his testimony to Jesus. He was there because of his role as a leader in the church that refused to bow and worship Caesar as God. And now sitting alone in a cave, removed from all of his fellow believers, there was nothing he could do but imagine the worst. And as he looked across the Aegean Sea, 30 miles away from the coast of Asia, his pastoral heart must have been sick with worry about how all of his loved ones were suffering. His own faith was being severely tested by all of Domitian's threats and all of his fears and all of his doubts, all of his illusions. On those long days, he must have reflected on the times that he'd spent with Jesus, the good times, the miracles he'd witnessed, the lessons he'd learned, the sermons he'd heard. But also, he must have remembered the excruciating days, that night when he'd fled from the Garden of Gethsemane, the horrible things that he had seen and heard at the foot of the cross, his bewilderment in that moment when he actually stepped into an open tomb. No, oh, his joy of Easter night and the, the days that followed when he got to spend more time with his risen Savior. He had been there and he had seen Jesus ascending into heaven to his rightful place in glory. He was there on Pentecost and was filled with the Holy Spirit and power from on high. 
He had been part of the great missionary advances. His churches began to be planted, and thousands and thousands came to faith. It was victory upon victory, just the way that John expected it would be, and all with the expectation that Jesus was going to come again at any moment. But now the years had gone by, and John was filled with illusions of Domitian's power and what all of this persecution was doing to his church and all of the losses, the people dying, the people falling away, the damage that Satan was doing as he kept hammering away at them. And now he was discouraged, discouraged about the mission of the church. There were feelings of futility and helplessness John needed to become disillusioned. And so one day, one Lord's Day, John heard and saw a, a voice, a powerful voice like a trumpet. And yet it was a familiar voice. And he felt a familiar touch. And John knew immediately that it was Jesus who spoke a powerful and comforting word that he'd heard many times before, Fear not. Fear not, for I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. John needed to see Jesus again. He needed to hear Jesus' words again. He needed to be reminded of the power of Jesus' death and resurrection again. John needed to be disillusioned. And so the Lord commanded him to write what he was about to see and to put it into a book for the sake of the churches that he dearly loved. And then Jesus unloaded for him a vision. In fact, it was seven visions of the ultimate plan, the culmination of all of history, the new heaven and the new earth, the fulfillment of the Easter victory, and his eternal reign over all things. And then we come to the words of our text, the final sentences, the epilogue of the book of Revelation, the exclamation point at the end. Jesus made these wonderful I am promises once again. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the first and the last. I am the beginning and the end. The one who had revealed himself to Moses in a burning bush, I am. Who then delivered his people from the slavery of another tyrant, defeated Pharaoh's armies, led his people safely through the waters of the Dead Sea, provided them for 40 years of wilderness wanderings, and settled them in their own land. I am. The one who spoke to Isaiah, 
who called himself the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, who said, I am the first and I am the last, and there is no other God beside me. My hand laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand spreads out the heavens. The one who had come in the flesh, God incarnate, who said, I am. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the true vine. I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Into the darkness of all of John's illusion, Jesus spoke one last time, saying, I am the root and the descendant of David. I am the bright morning star. I am the fulfillment of all of God's promises. I am the hope of a new day dawning. I am the promise of a glorious new heaven and a new earth and of all things new the crucified and risen Savior came to restore to John all of the joy and the hope of his Easter victory, to set him free from all of his illusions, to strengthen his faith, and to send him once again with a message to a church under pressure that they might become disillusioned too but also to send a message to us today, a revelation. Sisters and brothers, what illusions do you struggle with? Just how deluded are you? We sometimes see ourselves as exiles on this beautiful island, a seminary campus in the midst of a, a large and dangerous and unbelieving city. We call ourselves resident aliens in the midst of a, a culture that we don't understand, a barren world that seeks to silence the gospel. We see the church that we serve under pressure with seemingly little influence and no power except a word a word that we're sometimes reluctant and even fearful to proclaim. And now we're coming to the second last week of a school year, and all the pressure seems to be building. There are tests and papers and the successful completion of all of our academic requirements. And some of you are soon to go on your vicarage assignments or internships. And some of you are about to be ordained and called into your first congregation. And now things seem to be coming very real. And all kinds of uncertainties might be rising in your hearts and minds. Uncertainties about yourself. Uncertainty is about the calling congregations. Sisters and brothers, 
What illusions are you struggling with today? It seems to me that all of our personal struggles in life seem to be rooted in some illusion. All of our fears and all of our heartaches, all of our insecurities and worries, our loneliness and our sorrow, all illusions. Likewise, our self-condemnation, our guilt that we carry, all of our feelings of pride, all of our self-righteousness are caused by, by some misunderstanding, some twisted ideas about ourselves and about other people or about our God and his power and his grace. They're all distortions, sinful, deadly misrepresentations of truth. They're all just illusions. But today, our risen and ascended Jesus comes to us in his powerful word to disillusion us, to set us free once again from our misrepresentations of reality. He comes to us in words of law, and he speaks to us the truth about his judgment and about our own sinfulness. And he comes to us in precious words of gospel to speak the truth about his love, his mercy, his grace for even us. He comes to us in water and word. And there he sets us free from our illusions as he has called us to be his daughters and sons. And he connects us with his Easter victory, his resurrection, and his life is our resurrection and our life. He comes to us in bread and wine, his very body and blood, and he delivers to us everything that Good Friday and Easter morning means. Here is forgiveness and life and salvation for you and me. Three times in this powerful epilogue, Jesus' promises, I am coming soon. Surely I am coming soon. And there's an urgency about his word for the church. An urgency about his word for the world. An urgency about his word for us. We desperately need this encouragement to hold on to our faith and stand firm in the midst of all of the struggles in the world around us. For he assures us again and again that the time is short. And so today we join the Spirit and the Bride, the beautiful church that cries out, Come. And we invite all around us, all who hear this word, to cry out, come. With disillusioned John, we cry out expectantly and confidently and joyfully, amen.
Come, Lord Jesus. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds. In that Christ Jesus, amen.